And welcome once again to EWTN's Bookmark. I'm Doug Keck, your host, our guest author, Carlo Broussard. His book, Purgatory is for Real, Good News About the Afterlife for Those Who Aren't Perfect Yet, published by Catholic Answer Press, and that's available through the EWTN Religious Catalog. EWTNRC.com, all things Catholic. Welcome, Carlo, to yeah, EWTN's Bookmark. Me. I think it's the first time you've Indeed, made your way is. to this show. You do yes. the other more important programs <laughs> around EWTN. I understand that, but you had a little extra time. So extra this time. is kind of like a purgatory, a television purgatory, <laughs> where you had to spend some time to be on Jeanette's wonderful program. Indeed. Purgatory is for real. Good news about the afterlife of those who aren't perfect yet, which obviously is everybody. But one of the things that struck me with this, and uh, you know, we hear a lot about atheism today and secularism yeah. today, and the whole Catholic-Protestant dialogue and you know, debating over certain issues like once saved, always saved, and right. purgatory. Is that still ongoing? Yeah, you would think I, your reaction is appropriate because you right. would think that it's a dead horse mm -hmm. that I might be beating over and over again. Uh, but it's actually alive and well. In fact, you know, Doug, one of the reasons why I wrote the book was mm -hmm. because at the time, purgatory was the number one ranked topic searched on our website at Catholic.com. Why do you think that is? Why? That's an interesting question. And are those Catholics searching or non-Catholics? Well, that, as far as the analytics go, I don't no. know what specific group is searching the topic, but mm -hmm. it is ranked number one. And even on the radio show, whenever we open it up for questions mm -hmm. and we do sort of the Catholic-Protestant dialogue, over and over again without fail questions come in on purgatory as to why uh, for some it's a matter of I don't see it in the Bible I mean right. just yesterday on my way over here I got into a conversation with a non-catholic Christian and he was like so where's that in the Bible right. he was intrigued by this topic of purgatory so for some they don't see the evidence in Scripture to support it mm -hmm. and so they ask us as Catholics why do we believe something that's not sure. in the Bible and then for Catholics it's just a matter of of sort of the mysterious, right? This right. mysterious doctrine of purgatory that we don't really know about. In fact, Doug, I remember one time when I was a teenager just starting to get into apologetics, I was in the parking lot of a convenience store back home in Louisiana, and I got to chatting with this dude. I knew he was a Christian, mm -hmm. and the first question he asked me right out of his mouth, not like, hey, praise God, you love Jesus too. It was like, what's this deal with purgatory? Right. <laughs> so it does weigh heavy on the hearts and minds of well, folks. Well, is that because somebody would think this is one that's not in Scripture that I can see, and, and you really can't prove it, so this is my way of under mining what you believe. My other question would be, why if I'm a Protestant, why do I care whether you believe in purgatory? Well, because you care about truth mm -hmm. and you care about the Word and you care about believing what's in the Word. So there's going to be, for many, mm -hmm. a legitimate concern that we're believing something that they perceive to be outside of the boundaries of sacred scripture and thus not a part of divine and revelation. about your salvation. Indeed, in, in yeah. That positive way because they're operating on the doctrine right. of sola scriptura. We're only going to believe right. what's divinely revealed in sacred scripture. So you're believing something that's not divinely revealed. Right. You need to knock it off. Right, right. right. You, you talk in the very beginning about here, you talk about uh, Church of the Sacred Heart of Jesus in Prati um, and a collection of artifacts from all over Europe. Uh, including uh, that bear the signs of scorched hands and fingerprints of souls in purgatory, supposedly. That's the kind of stuff people go and say, oh, they're, they're the, <laughs> there goes those Catholics again with right, their superstition. Right. And you go, regardless of what you make of these so-called relics of purgatory, it does raise questions, is purgatory real? Then you go on to, to comment on Calvin and, and other Anglican theologians who described it as a medieval invention. But some of these people, even like, as you say, later in the book, like Luther and Melanchthon, 
they started off having a different opinion, and yeah. then they slowly went against it. That is correct. Luther started off affirming the doctrine of purgatory, but in 1537 he changed his tune, calling it a doctrine from the devil. And so, yeah, it's interesting that we have these artifacts mm -hmm. that would seem to suggest souls interacting with people and the faithful here on earth. But like, you, like I said in the book, regardless of what you make of those, whether they're credible or not, it does raise the question concerning the church's teaching mm -hmm. about the doctrine of purgatory and whether it's true or not. Right, and, and this is another thing with people trying to figure out what is purgatory, and you, yeah. you talked about lost and some other things in here. Uh, some end up with the end of the spectrum, it says where suffering is eliminated entirely, purgatory is said to be all joy and peace, nothing more than a cleanup job before the entrance into heaven. Others say, well, it's really uh, just outside of hell there, <laughs> yes. and there's a lot of burning before you can get there. And so people are confused. Is that what part of their question as well? I think one of the motivations for, at least for Catholics asking about purgatories, because they've heard in the past, you know, these saints say some pretty scary things about souls appearing mm -hmm. to them and describing the suffering that they're experiencing in purgatory. So within the theological tradition, you do have a heavy emphasis mm -hmm. on the negative aspect of purgatory, it being just right outside of hell, right? Mm -hmm. But then there was sort of this pendulum swing to where it's sort of in the popular consciousness of popular apologists where there was only an emphasis on, yeah, it's just the completion of sanctification right. while losing the emphasis on the suffering. And so what I try to do in the book, Doug, is to have a, a, a healthy balance between the two. To, to set the record straight, <laughs> yeah. as you say right here. And I was going to ask you, do you think you accomplished that? Yeah, I, I think I do, because we, we achieve a healthy balance between affirming the suffering aspect of purgatory in light of official church teaching, but also showing the joys that would be present in purgatory as well to complement the suffering. And one of those joys, which is a part of official church teaching, is that the souls of among those in purgatory are guaranteed the reward of heaven. Their eternity is secure, unlike on this side of the veil in this life where our eternity is not absolutely secure, they are guaranteed salvation because as the Catechism points out, Doug, they are numbered among the elect. This book is divided into three main sections, each of which contains chapters that defend the reality of purgatory. The first section shows that the general ideas associated with this is not just a, a Catholic thing. In fact, you, you go through other religions. Why did you decide to do that? Yeah, that's a great question. So I guess in response, we wanted to show that it's this, the general idea of after death, temporary purgation and or punishment, it's not just a Catholic thing. It's not just this weird Catholic thing. So I start out in chapter one by looking at this general idea that's not obviously the full-fledged doc Catholic doctrine of purgatory, but the general idea is present in non-Christian religions. But then I look at non-Catholic Christian groups in order to show that if you're going to deny mm -hmm. the reality of purgatory, you're actually among the minority of Christians. And so that could at least... And, and religions in general. Yes, and religions in general. So right. that could at least get that particular individual thinking, well, 
why is my belief in denying purgatory so, so among the minority view, is there something really there mm -hmm. uh, with this Catholic teaching? And so that can prompt the investigation into the Catholic understanding of purgatory. Right, and you deal with Judaism and Zoroastrianism even, and uh, one of the ones I never heard, what is Tengrism? Yeah, Tengrism is a Central Asia, Euro European type mm -hmm. uh, uh, religion uh, having to do with Mongolians. And so uh, it's, it, there's a lot to it that's a bit quite nuanced. I don't go too much in depth within the book, but just to highlight a few details that even within this non-Christian religious tradition, there's this understanding of a after-death, temporary punishment slash purgation that's going on. Right. Yeah. It's one of the reasons that you find uh, many Protestants uh, you know, focus on purgatory besides the sense that, well, I don't see it in Scripture and it's a good way maybe to point out the mistakes of Catholicism, is also you're dealing with people, a lot of people in the once saved, always saved approach? Yeah, so that's, that's driving it, and that's, it's a bit nuanced that requires some unpacking. So even if you believed you're once saved, always saved, there still it could be some room mm -hmm. for this after-death purgation, because even if you believe your position with God is secure, mm -hmm. you're eternally saved, the condition of the soul is still going to have to be brought to perfection before entrance into heaven. So even within that framework, theological framework, there's room for purgatory, but what's driving it, Doug, is the, is the Catholic understanding of debt of temporal punishment due for past forgiven sins being discharged in purgatory, and it's that that many Protestants among the once saved, always saved community have a problem with because it's their understanding that once you're saved initially, mm -hmm. when the full merits of Jesus' death on the cross are applied to you, there is no debt of punishment, whether eternal or temporal, mm -hmm. that one could incur after you're initially saved. Whereas the Catholic understanding of purgatory entails, mm -hmm. well, even if you are initially saved, the Christian still incurs a temporal debt of punishment for past forgiven sins. And that's where the rub is. And so it's a matter mm -hmm. of which order of providence did God will, because we recognize as Catholics God could have willed an order of providence where everything's applied initially mm -hmm. and no more debt of punishment after that. But what we argue, and as I argue in the book, is that God willed an order of providence that even after the full merits of Jesus' death on the cross are applied initially, which the church does teach, because in baptism, all sin wiped away, even all debt of punishment for sin wiped away. But even after, for post-baptismal sins, there still is an incurment of a temporal debt of punishment due for sin. And we see that in Hebrews 12, verse 6, where the author says that our Lord, the Lord disciplines those whom He loves and chastises every son of His. And you can only chastise injustice if there is a proportionate offense that deserves the chastisement. So, so uh, you also deal with purgatory non-Catholic Christian traditions. Uh, now, I would think, you know, Protestants, I understand, don't believe in purgatory, and that's a general statement, but Orthodox Christianity, I just assume they believe the same thing we believe. Not exactly affirming all of the details or aspects of the full understanding of the doctrine of purgatory. So Orthodox Christians affirm with us that there is a temporary state of existence, neither heaven nor hell, in which souls exist, that we, the faithful here on earth, can assist. Now, many Orthodox, through our prayers and intercessory masses, indulgences, etc., uh, however, many will deny the purgation 
or the purification or the suffering aspect okay. of it and just affirm the effect that we can have on them through our intercessory prayers. However, there is some um, mixture in there among even, amongst even Orthodox Christians where some will affirm some sense of purgation or purification. Right. Are those who believe in, in aerial toll houses? Yeah, that's, uh, that's sort of a peripheral mm -hmm. view uh, with among Orthodox Christians of this aerial toll house where you're going to have to pay your toll on your way uh, to heaven, which would involve some sort of suffering. So, once again, there's disagreement there. Some will affirm it, some will deny it. And from my understanding, it's sort of a fringe view. Now, you talk about the joyful truth, consolation for believers, yeah. and, and the idea that purgatory is actually a positive thing for people who are struggling with sin. How so? Well, it provides consolation for us as believers precisely because, as you and I know, Doug, we love our Lord, but yet we also recognize that we fall short of the standard of Christian perfection every day and even perhaps multiple times a day. And so if there were no after-death final purification for those who die in friendship with Jesus, if there were no purgatory, it would almost be inevitable that we would fall into despair, mm -hmm. thinking, oh my goodness, I love the Lord, but it's virtually impossible for me to ever attain perfect union with Him in heaven because of my weakness. Mm -hmm. Not sufficient to merit damnation, but nevertheless sufficient to keep me out of the beatific vision because no defilement can enter into heaven. So knowing that there is a post-mortem, after-death, final purification for those who die in friendship with Christ, that consoles me as a believer, not in the sense that, well, I can be a little lax in this life and kind of make it up in purgatory. Mm -hmm. Au contraire, heaven is the destiny, and I want to achieve absolute perfection at the end of this life to die with perfect charity to immediately enter into the beatific right. vision. But if I fall short, by God's mercy, we have this post-mortem final purification. Right, exactly. Uh, most of us trying our best are still going to require purification, <laughs> yeah. so we shouldn't be worried about trying less than that. Yeah. You talk, purgatory helps believers know that the souls in purgatory can pray for us. Now, the focus usually for us is praying for the holy yeah. souls to help them, uh, right. you know, Rightfully move so. along, so yeah. to speak. Uh, what I, I don't really f hear as much a focus about the idea of asking them to pray for us. Yeah, well, the Catechism in paragraph 958 says that our prayers for them, the souls of the deceased in purgatory, makes their intercessions for us more effective. So we have an affirmation from the church that they can pray for us. Now, how does that relate to consoling believers and constituting a joyful truth? Well, for us who lose our loved ones, we're able to know that we can continue in a loving relationship with them not only by way of us praying for them and extending love toward them, but also by way of them praying for us and extending love back to us in this reciprocal relationship of love, mm -hmm. uh, even before they enter into the beatific vision. Because otherwise you would think, well, they're dead, they're probably in purgatory. If they can't interact, if, they can't, if I can't have a relationship with them until they enter into the beatific vision, that might be a cause for sorrow. Mm -hmm. But knowing that we still can have a loving relationship with our, the souls of our deceased loved ones can be a cause for joy. Chapter 3, Purgatory Implied by Revealed Principles. According to the Anglican Church's 39 Articles of Religion, the Romish doctrine of purgatory is a found thing vainly invented and grounded upon no warranty of Scripture. One of the things might be, if purgatory is so important to our Catholic understanding of, of salvation, why isn't it more implicit? 
Well, that's one of those questions that we could apply to other topics as well, which I'll ask God when I get there. <laughs> you know, like for example, the canon of Scripture. If sacred Scripture is so important, it's the inspired Word of God, why didn't Jesus or the apostles ever tell us what the canon is, right? So it's a matter of divine providence of how He wills to unveil these truths to us through the, throughout the life of the church. However, we do see there are certain principles in sacred Scripture that root and ground the Catholic understanding of purgatory, the first of which being that no defilement can enter into heaven, Revelation 21, 27. The other principles being that there is such a distinction as venial and mortal sin, and thus uh, a debt of punishment that is not everlasting but temporary, right? Mm -hmm. That we can actually, cooperating with God's grace, take care of in this life, and if not fully in this life, then in the next. Mm -hmm. So when you take all of these principles together, you come to the conclusion that it makes biblical sense that there would be an after-death final purification for those who die in friendship with Jesus, but yet not fully perfected yet. Mm -hmm. And you, you go through those, those several premises near the end of that chapter. So for somebody uh, from a Protestant pers perspective who, let's say, believes in it's imputed to me, right. or the, the, the simple idea of the, you know, the snow on the dung heap uh, with Luther, the idea that I don't really need this in my life because I'm already saved. How, how does that work out for somebody whom the, I remember there was a pamphlet, Catholic Answer said years ago, called The Sinister Minister, mm. which kind of deals with that idea of how could somebody be saved? They're saved, but it doesn't really matter what they do, but yet it does matter what they do. Yes, yeah, so with regard to the doctrine of purgatory, as I, I actually mentioned this in passing earlier, even within that theological framework, where one is in a rightly ordered relationship with God based solely on an extrinsic declaration by God that I am just, right? right? Even those Protestants believe that there is a process of sanctification right. where the condition of the soul does indeed become regenerated and changed or sanctified, made holy. Right. Okay. And so even within that theological framework, you still have room for if that sanctification is not complete by the end of this life, at least between death and glory, where you think it, whether you think it's instantaneous or duration process, which the church hasn't really defined in her teaching on purgatory, there still is a final completion of that sanctification. So there's room for it, right. as I say, within that theological framework. Because think about it, Doug, even we as Catholics, we say the souls in purgatory, they're guaranteed right. their salvation. So what some of our Protestant friends will say about Christians in this life, mm -hmm. guaranteed their salvation and thus need sanctification, we say about the souls in purgatory guaranteed the eternal reward of heaven, but need a final completion of their sanctification. Right, that's why sometimes you'll get somebody said, well, they had a said faith, they don't have a lived faith, and that's why they're, they're, they're not living it out, and so they're not really guaranteed salvation. Purgatory is in, in Jesus' teaching. Well, you say many Protestants think the Catholic fails in this regard. Purgatory is one of the Catholics, they don't think come from the Lord. It's asserted that one of the many made-up doctrines Catholic Church binds its members to, and then you go on to point out particular chapters yeah. you got from Matthew here. What are those and how do they prove it? Yeah, so I think one particular text that we can appeal to is Matthew 12, 32. That's where our Lord talks about the sin against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven in this age nor in the age to come. 
Now, elsewhere, even in Matthew's Gospel, when our Lord talks about the age to come, He's talking about eternal life, the afterlife. And so, the implication is, if this particular sin, sin against the Holy Spirit, mm -hmm. is not forgiven in this age, nor in the, well, let's just pause right there, not forgiven in this age, what does that imply? Mm -hmm. That there are some sins that could be forgiven in this age. And so now he extends it to the age to come or the afterlife saying this sin's not going to be forgiven in the afterlife, the implication being, well, what sins could be forgiven in the afterlife? And what's interesting here, Doug, is that Matthew is writing to a Jewish audience. Mm -hmm. And as I point out in my book in the first chapter, the Jews right before and at the time of Jesus believed that some sins could be remitted mm -hmm. in the afterlife. So it's very reasonable for Matthew to record this teaching of Jesus to preempt the question coming from the Jewish people, well, hey, wait a minute, Jesus, if this sin can't be forgiven, well, what about these other sins? Could those be forgiven in the afterlife? And of course, Matthew's recording Jesus to answer that Jewish question and say, this sin can't even be forgiven in the afterlife. The presumption being that the audience understands that some sins can. And if some sins can be forgiven in the afterlife, well, then that's at least one aspect of the Catholic understanding of purgatory, any remaining guilt of venial sin remaining. Now you got sin. purgatory in uh, basically St. Paul's teaching. I thought Paul was a Protestant, no? <laughs> he, he actually thought about, you got 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, yeah. the work with which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only th through as by fire. Yeah. So how does that reveal purgatory? Mm. Yeah, well the point here is the key is that he's talking about the day, which according to Hebrews 9.27 is, is the day of judgment in Paul's mind, which according to Hebrews 9.27 comes after death. So this is a post-mortem state of existence. The individual that's being judged on the day is a saved Christian because number one, he's built upon the foundation of Christ and Paul says he's saved. Mm -hmm. But notice, Doug, that he suffers loss on account of the not so good works represented by wood, hay, and straw that are burned up in the fire, mm -hmm. but yet he is saved as only through fire, the fire seemingly an instrument through which the individual is saved. So we have an after-death state of existence that cannot be heaven because the saved Christian is experiencing suffering mm -hmm. on account of the not so good works, nor can it be hell because the individual is a saved Christian. Mm -hmm. And so, what is this postmortem state of existence represented by fire, which signifies purification, neither heaven nor hell? We call it purgatory. Right. Well, one of the questions you deal with later here is the idea of even for a Catholic or a Christian, is it a place? Ah. Is it an instance? Is yeah. it a passage? It lends to the end of time. Uh, many, many different questions right. that I address. In understanding the amount of time, how does the soul experience that time? Yeah, so all very good questions that are within the realm of speculative theology. Don't know if I'll be able to answer them all right mm -hmm. here, but I have a chapter in the book where I deal with all of them. But right. with regard to it being a place, theologians within the theological tradition, first of all, the church has not settled these right. issues. So within the theological tra tradition, you're going to have uh, theologians in both camps saying, like St. Thomas Aquinas, the souls are detained within the bowels of the earth. Mm -hmm. Other theologians will deny that and say, no, it's just a state of existence. Mm -hmm. They're not really located in any geographical location within the physical cosmos. Right. With regard to an instant or a passage, again, the church hasn't defined, but there's a strong tendency in the theological tradition to affirm, at least for some souls, it could be instantaneous, but for other souls, there could be some duration of quote-unquote time. How that is experienced in the afterlife, right. 
we simply have to bow in humility here uh, to the mystery and, and go with Pope Benedict, Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI, who says, we can't measure time in the afterlife according to right. this earthly time. Because God is time. outside of time. So yeah, and well, even, even the souls in purgatory, they're not entirely in God's eternity because they're not infinite. They're still finite. So there is some time in the sense of change mm -hmm. from like potency to act, you know, to use the falutin jargon, but some sense of change, right? Okay. So it's not God's eternity in that sense, but still not time as we experience it in this life because we're embodied beings. One of the nice things you point out here is to counteract the idea that it was said that uh, in the book, The Birth of Purgatory, I'm convinced by my research and textual analysis that purgatory did not exist before 1170 and the earliest as something that the church believed, but you actually go and show very early on there was that understanding. Yeah, right? so initially we have gravesite inscriptions that dates really early mid second century to where the individual is requesting the faithful who visit the grave to pray for the individual mm -hmm. as he or she is in the afterlife. We have a prayers for the dead manifest in early Christian testimony where prayers are being offered like uh, in the martyrdom of Perpetua and Felicity Perpetua prays for her deceased seven-year-old brother, Dinocrates, who she sees to be suffering, prays for him immediately. Eventually, he comes back refreshed, suggesting that he's been purified. Right. So we have prayers for the dead testified to in early Christian testimony. And even the idea of an after-death purification mm -hmm. of sin or remnants of sin with Clement of Alexandria and his work, the Stromata, which dates to right at the turn of the third century in AD 200, where he's talking about this post-mortem purgation that's neither heaven nor hell. We only got a minute left. What's, what do you use as your most powerful argument when somebody challenges purgatory? Well, if they're looking for the biblical evidence, I would turn to 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, because I think it's clear there, St. Paul's talking about an after-death state of existence, purification of a saved Christian that can't be heaven, but it can't be hell. And so, as my good friend Tim Staples often says, you can call a rose by any name you want, but a rose is still a rose. Well, are you planning on writing another book? Indeed, I am. I've actually written another book, and we're waiting to have it in hand here in a couple of months called Meeting the Protestant Response, How to Answer Common Comebacks to Catholic Arguments. Are they different than they used to be? What's different? Well, what's interesting is that for so long, we as Catholics have been presenting our arguments. And many times Catholics will come up to me and say, why don't Protestants get it? It's so clear. Well, they actually have reasonable answers as to why they do not buy our Catholics. And so buy our arguments. Right, right. So I analyze responses from prominent Protestant apologists to our arguments and show why their responses do not ultimately Great. refute the arguments. Sounds interesting. Thank you. Uh, make sure you stop by when All you right, get sure that thing. book out, Thanks of for course. Carla Boursaud, the book Purgatory is for real. Good news about the afterlife for those who aren't perfect yet. Look in the mirror. Catholic Answers Press publishes. It's available through the EWTN Religious Catalog, EWTNRC.com. All things Catholic. Thank you for joining us. We'll see you next time right here on Bookmark.